Hello and welcome to Lights in Europe 2020 from beautiful Bali, Indonesia. Today I speak to Riza Sukman, who was born to parents coming from Bali and the United States. And he was also lucky enough that his love life brought him to Brussels, Belgium. So he's very capable in addressing the differences in, in the cultures and, and how we are addressing complicated questions uh, in Europe versus the United States versus uh, Indonesia and Asian culture. So Riza works as a yoga teacher as a, as a therapist, as a specialist in family constellations. So now that we are at the beginning of the year and many of us are going through, well, maybe now and maybe throughout the whole year, through many painful and vulnerable conversations about who we are and how the dynamics in our relationships are working, we are discussing how uh, Brussels approach and how the European personal development space addresses these questions. Uh, either in the same way or in a different way to how it's typically done in in spaces like Bali, uh, where everybody's high on the spirituality and, and maybe approaching uh, the personal development in kind of different ways. So listen to our conversation and maybe uh, you will also uh, gain a bit of strength in not creating so much pressure in always having the answers to questions that we are all seeking. Hi Riza, thanks for joining us on this interview. We are in the middle of beautiful Bali where I'm having my New Year's holidays and I was lucky enough to find somebody who's from Bali and at the same time had an experience with Brussels. So I thought it would be interesting to have a conversation a little bit about how these two worlds are separate or similar or not and how actually the industry that you're involved with, how it compares from the one civilization we can say to the other. So thanks a lot for being willing to have this conversation because I know that it's pretty new situation for you. Yeah, so, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your Brussels story. Uh, I know that you've been living there for about five years with your family. How was the experience for you coming from having lived in Bali your whole life? How was it for you transforming your life into a new space? So for me, thinking about moving to Brussels was, was exciting because it's Europe and I had been there before. After my, after my high school graduation, my parents gave me a, a summer gift of going on a Euro trip. And so I had, I had already seen uh, Europe and Brussels once. But also I, I grew up with going to the United States every summer for two months because my mother is American and we would go and visit family there. So, and also having one American mother, I, I, ha- I had the experience of understanding both, or at least from my own perceptions, East and West. So Brussels wasn't really necessarily like that different for, for me, and it wasn't that shock, uh, much of a shock. But even so, like there were challenges, you know, culturally, uh, linguistically, temp- like climate, geographically, and stuff like that. You had to buy the first jacket, I assume. <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe first, like heavy, well, not first in the States, it's colder actually, but yeah, something like that. And so tell us how these five years went for you. You did a lot of training. You were exploring your future career paths as different alternatives of what you would like to go into based on what you've been studying and what you've been engaged with in Bali. So tell us a little bit so that we can put you in some kind of a box. We had conversations about us being frustrated about the world pushing us to have a box and always mm-hmm. put labels on ourselves and being forced. For instance, in Brussels world, people often ask you, are you a lawyer or an economist? And you always have to have an answer. 
and the more experienced we are with the diversity of the labor market, we know that this is no longer working for people and it's and it's frustrating many of us to have this kind of label. So if you were to put some kind of label on yourself, in which box would you put yourself as uh, as a professional? Now as you're speaking, I would say what what's coming to me is alternative healing uh, domain. Okay, so talk to us about what it actually means. Alternative healing. Alternative, alternative to what? Yeah. And healing of what? So for me, alternative healing means uh, like a holistic, all-encompassing approach that looks at the person as a, as, a, as a whole, like including their emotions, their mind, their body, and their emotions, and also their energy. Like Chinese medicine talks a lot about energy. Like things like psychotherapy talk a lot about, well, they use talk, and talk relating with someone else can bring up stuff memories and blockages and things like this but what they talk about more in western therapy and things like this is tends to be more about a, a psychological or mental thing whereas in eastern medicine it's more about energy they don't really talk so much or they don't really talk about emotion but in the end like the body can, is containing emotion and energy and you can even say that emotion is energy and motion and we and people can have different blockages of energy or blockages of emotion that in the long term, if they're not addressed, it can cause physical ailments or dis- illnesses or disease. So it's really like alternative healing is like something away from the mainstream mainstream allopathic medicine, which is looking into what's more what's more the cause of the the physical disease or And this is pretty much the dominant way of healing in the Eastern civilization, while it's very absent in the Western civilization. And I often come across stories of people looking for alternative healers when the Western medicine stops working for them, but it's not really known. Of course, it's very rarely reimbursed by the insurance system. So there's plenty of barriers for the people to have to actually have access to functional, different, alternative way of healing their body and mind. So do you see this as the next step of our healthcare system into which they eventually will have to develop into? Or are we really doomed as, as Western systems and now we're going to get stuck where we are and whenever we need an alternative, we need an alternative solution, we will have to continue traveling to Bali and elsewhere to seek these solutions? Um, no, I, I love I love this topic because I think we have to remember that even in the West, before the modern medicine was invented and kind of structured, in the essence, it's a man-made system that's working with the natural system of the body, and they kind of superimpose the the, the modern med- medical system onto, like, in a sense, it's like imposing it onto the natural body's way of working, the body's natural way of working. It's a lot like dominating dominating nature and trying to change nature to to fix it or to make it better and and kind of not paying attention to what's already working in nature and why was nature made in a certain way by if you will a higher power or the universe and even so even in the west we can say that before this this medical system was there there were also these similar kind of healing healing modalities or indigenous modalities even in even in european early european societies and all early societies had their own ways of healing it's just that in the west it's it's more known that in in the east is where this alternative healing is but actually earlier there was it was all the same thing was also so give us examples what, what is it that we're talking about 
So like sham shamans, um, which like the whole the, the the whole witch hunts in in Western Europe. If you do, if 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 there wasn't this whole church thing, maybe actually these witches were the early European uh, healers, if you will. What else? Like now, concretely, if you have a disease, uh, yeah, psychosomatic so, disease, how would you go about the healing the disease differently? Actually, the West, through connecting the East, is in from the inside is starting to bring in these um, this kind of alternative way of healing, and it's visible in things like uh, somatic-based trauma psychotherapy. In the, in the United States, there's this thing called somatic experiencing. It's body-based psychotherapy. What is it? I mean, fundamentally, it is a client and a practitioner. And the practitioner is witnessing and holding the space for the client to pay attention, observe, and attend to his or her body-based sensations and anything that arises in the moment. And from this, you can start to see... You can start to see how the emotion uh, or the energy flows through your system. You can also see what emotions come up, and each of these emotions signals something in in either the the healthy flow of energy or in or in a blockage. The shame is a good one that shows that there's kind of like an obstruction in the in the healthy flow of emotion. And from from this, you can gauge and you can start to let, like deblock the energy blocks, and you get to a place where you have decreased shame, you have decreased fear, you have decreased anger, and you're kind of just flowing in like a free flow of life energy, confidence, self-awareness, self-knowledge. And when you're speaking with people, you just feel like you're just a, a live human being who can fu- like can function, you know? And so this is very big, obviously, in the higher consciousness community <clears throat> where everybody is like big on their self-care practices and tuning into actually feeling what's going on in their body and their mind. But how do you explain this to people who don't have any of these practices in their life and they will tell you, I can't even meditate and if I try, I get headaches. Mm. Yeah, how do you reconcile the two worlds? Because I guess for you, having been brought up in Bali, it's very natural to have these practices in your daily practice. And for the society here, you're so tuned in with the rhythm of the nature and I guess the communication is so much more open to what we're used in Western society. So uh, where do you start with the beginners? Like how do you, when you were in Brussels, how would you have like really launched this practice with people who would have never come across this kind of reflection? Well, the interesting thing is despite my, some of my Buddhist meditation experience, which is clearly coming from a Buddhist background, stemming from Thailand, India, Myanmar, things like this, where, where I've really started to find um, a, more, a more kind of useful results was only when I started doing somatic experiencing, which is actually a method that was started by Peter Levine, who's an, Amer- an American guy. What is it, somatic experience? That's very much like what I just explained to you. It's, okay. it's a little bit ex- difficult to explain because I'm not, I'm not a practitioner but of that specifically. But it's essentially like you're doing body-based meditation with another person observing you. And you also have the chance to express to that person what's happening inside of you while you're doing the meditation. So it's like meditation magnified for me. For me. And things flow faster. It's like meditation on, I don't know, what do, you, what do you say? Meditation on steroids or something, yeah. And the thing about 
East and West is um, actually, to be honest, I've I've learned a lot of great stuff from Western practitioners actually who are developing things that are very very alternative. So it's not really black and white. Like it's not about being West and East. Obviously, it's about being. I guess it's about being or tip of the iceberg kind of focused versus doing the holistic. Thing. It's kind of like I can I can meet an American who's very open and transparent with how they're feeling and you know and their their well their they're conscious of their well being and all that and I can meet and I can meet a Balinese who's very business oriented only talking about money and uh, economic success. So and so we've talked about how this translates into our health. But you've also looked into the relationships angle of this, and you've been trained in uh, family constellations. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about where this energy work into place with the quality of our relationships, first with ourselves and then within our families. If we're healthier and and happier, and more comfortable with ourselves, it's gonna it's going to radiate out into our, our relationships, our work, our relationships with colleagues at work, with family. It's going to, it's going to affect positively in a lot of areas of our life. Family constellations is, is a, is a method that kind of also helps uncover where love, where love has been blocked between people in, in families and systems. So it's a therapeutic methodology where you sit down with a family and you, talk through the dynamics of the family family constellations can be done in private one-on-one or it can be done in in a group workshop setting where one person is the client and the other people in the circle like from 10 to 20 people in the circle are chosen as representatives for that person's family or system so it's a role play it's kind of like it's not role. there's no role playing the the representative, the representatives are just embodying how they feel to be in that person's role, in the in the role of that person's family, and they intuitively feel their their body language, and where their body wants to move in space and how it relates with the other members. Where is the added value of this compared to the traditional therapy that's being done when there's something not working well in the family dynamics? It has an added value in that in real time you can you can you can see outside of yourself something that is going on in your in your family system in real time, and then you can you there there can be movements that are made that that can deblock the 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 issue, and when you see it being deblocked in real time, it's very like your body is very sensitive to the movements that are happening. And it's somehow, it's like in your body, the body feels that there's a solution now that's possible. And you, like you, can, you, can, you can like uncover deep, long-lost love that you actually feel towards your mom or your dad that has been uh, not present because of the conflict that's happening, for example. Think, so, things like this. I don't want to oversimplify yeah. things again, but is there a difference to typical dynamics that you see in cultures like that of Bali versus what you've observed in the US or Europe simply because we've been raised in different ways and we've been seeing different kinds of feeling dynamics in the in the families and the communities that we grow up in yeah well in general the collectivist societies which is ten, the one of Bali. The one in Bali, South, like parts of different countries in South America, Africa, India, things like this. 
even Spain is more collectivist than than Holland, for example, or or uh, England. There's more of a stick together and help each other out kind of thing, and st- yeah, stick together. Have have the grandparents help take care of the grandchildren and things like this. And so, from the constellation perspective, when whenever there is something not working within a family, is it not working in a different kind of way? No, it's work. It's it's not working in the same. It's kind the same of way. Role. Yeah, because because then in that situation, it comes down to the human level. Because it's all the same fears of love being lost or yeah. of us not so, being lovable or not good enough in the dynamic, so it's ultimately the same source. In the end, on a on a human organism level, like human body level, the Balinese person's heart is the same as the as an American person's heart. And they feel love just like an American feels love. They feel anger just like an American feels anger. So why would Western society be so much less spiritual? Why is it so normal to have these kind of conversations in Bali, which seem so woohoo whenever you would raise them mm. in Brussels, for instance? It could be that it's just a removed, it's a removed environment. Connection to it. it I think that I don't think that necessarily Balinese people are more spiritual than than Americans. I think there's also a lot of spiritual Americans or spiritual Europeans, but. It's not out there. Bali is kind of like a, a, a global center where this kind of work is known to happen. And so when people come here, it's like they get to leave all of the, the socialization from where they live. And they can finally be the part, they can finally play out the part of themselves that can never be expressed when they're where they are. Living. And so what's your experience? What happens to them when they come back home? Maybe they maybe they miss having that part of themselves acknowledged. Did you practice everything that you would have wanted when you were in Brussels? Like in your interactions with your friends and social circles? Did you have the same quality of conversations that you would have here? Or no, is there a no, filter that you no, put on there, because you know that it's not the kind of talk that you have over there? Well, there, there, <laughs> it depends on the person I'm talking to. But yeah, there's a, in general, there's a filter because if... If I'm meeting someone in a coffee shop in the EU quarter, I well I sense I sense their energy and like if I talk to them after 15 minutes and I hear the stuff they're talking about, the things they mention, you know, and if I mention some one thing that's kind of along the lines of what I want to talk about and they kind of look at me with with their eyebrows going up, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm not going to continue talking about about it with them because maybe their attention is completely elsewhere. How is it in the yoga community? You are also a yoga teacher, so Is it diluted in any way in the West or is the intensity the same? That's also another thing that people would yeah. often mention that you get like it's not as intense. Whatever you're getting out of these experiences when you're in Bali, mm-hmm. you get less of it wherever you it's, go. It, it, is, it is kind of true because in Bali it's acceptable that this is what you're here for. You're here so you're you play full out and you cry during your practice while you wouldn't when you're in Brussels. Is this kind of thing? Not necessarily unsincerely, but because it's a, because there's a there's a common understanding that you are not just your professional self here. You are your holistic self who has feelings and who has an inner child somewhere inside, you know, who has needs that it never got met, etc., etc. It's a very therapeutic uh, way of understanding a human being and because I guess that in that sense 
people can drop the the facade of their professional identity and they can be a more multidimensional person. How can we bring this into the corporate space? I think pe- so we're no I think, longer splitting the two identities. I think all like all the people who are comfortable speaking about other stuff than just professional business as usual, you know, they can get together, they can they can identify who else, who of their friends are like that, and then they can maybe all get together and and maybe you know there's a tipping point where enough people are connected and in communication with each other that it becomes more of the norm that it's acceptable and then the people who are not comfortable can start to question oh there's a lot of people doing this maybe it's maybe it's not so weird in the end and maybe and these people look healthier happier healthier you know they're accepting themselves more maybe i should get out of my box and like see what, what what's actually going on Is this something that you would recommend to the people now that we're at the beginning of the next decade? Is it like an intention that you would like people to go into their corporate space with? Definitely. A lot of the problems people are having with dissatisfaction at work, depression, break like breakdowns and stuff like this is because their entire self is not accepted at at work and their human their human qualities their imperfect human qualities yeah a more emotionally aware uh, workplace would be would be cool and how do you create that where is like what is the number one step that you would recommend the boss to focus on how to start going there you know because you can you can turn yeah. a typical corporate space into an emotionally aware workplace yeah. just like that it's a it's a huge organizational change that the systems have to go through and and unless you have a very aware leader on top it's very difficult to get there very quickly so it's true i mean i think in the end it can help if the leader is open to this these things and creates a conversation about it but in the end i think each individual within that organization or system needs to also be willing or curious to to also be challenged and, and go there and do their own individual honest relating with with their with their colleagues for it to really get more common what is your final piece of wisdom you would pass on from this beautiful space i guess the number one is an invitation to bali <laughs> and the second one Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think if people are honest and they they dig inside and they feel themselves more, they know when they know when they're not being honest. And I would my I guess my number one thing would just be like first start getting more honest with yourself and then slowly try and start getting more honest with with your friends first like personal or your family and then your friends and then once that's kind of been worked the once the growing pains of that have been worked through the growing pains the growing pains like of being honest with your yourself your family and then your close friends because it's it's already not not easy um then you can bring it into a wider yeah. wider circle of the world and then from there if more more and more people do that it's going to become much more comfortable for people to be honest to be more authentic in all their interactions i guess good luck to all of us who are going to be trying any of this yeah. in our yeah. corporate space because it's not easy but yeah. i guess we know it's needed to be done but also like uh, luckily there's also like books like reinventing organizations that already exist 
And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more on the way. Yeah, Lalu is very popular in Brussels. I don't know to which degree it's known over here. Yeah, with, with people who have a, a background in corporate and big organizations, it's known even here if they come and start living here. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you very much. Okay, and thanks. Good luck and we'll be happy to see you in Brussels again. Yeah, yeah, at some point. <laughs> thanks, for the, thanks for the talk. Thank you for listening. For follow-up, you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms, including our Instagram, Lights on Europe. So feel free to go there now and leave us your review, likes, feedback, as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time. Bye!